This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Please speak to us afresh today by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. So began our portion of Scripture from Psalm 31 this morning. We wish that we could be celebrating Palm Sunday with our friends and families in church together, with a festive procession made up of hundreds of people. We can't. We're in trouble. Many people wish that their jobs were secure, but they watch anxiously as 700,000 jobs were lost last month, just in this country. We're in trouble. Lots of people wish that they could be heading out in the coming days to spend Easter with friends or family, but they can't. 90% of the United States is subject to a stay-at-home order. We're in trouble. It's hard to believe how much has changed in just five and a half weeks since Lent began on Ash Wednesday. For many of us, COVID time seems to go so fast. Decisions are being made in hours that would normally take weeks or months. And for others, COVID time is slow. If you're alone, anxious, separated from family and friends, these days are long. So much of the ways we have lived our lives have been turned upside down. At the end of February, who could have imagined this present reality? On Ash Wednesday, there were 15 confirmed cases of the coronavirus in the United States, and there were no recorded deaths. This morning, there are more than 311,000 cases in in the United States and more than 8,000 deaths. And worldwide, there are more than 1.2 million confirmed cases and more than 65,000 deaths. And each day, these numbers relentlessly increase. And so with the psalmist, we cry out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. The truth is, we are a city, a nation, and a world that is in trouble. However, this was true before the COVID-19 crisis began. As I said in my sermon on Ash Wednesday, there's another pandemic that is far more serious, a condition and a threat that exists all over the world. It is infinitely more dangerous and more deadly than the coronavirus. It's called sin. The church, the state, all manner of institutions, families, marriages, individuals, all are 
afflicted by this sin virus. And this sin pandemic brings pain and suffering, and it always leads to death. And so this is the context that we come to worship God on this Palm Sunday. We are a desperate people living in desperate times. This is the context in which we sing and shout Hosanna, which means save us. So what exactly is it that we need to be saved from? For those today fighting for every breath and for their loved ones, that seems like a silly question. They want to be saved from death. For those who have no savings, whose jobs are threatened or already gone, and who now fear bankruptcy, homelessness, and poverty, it seems too like a silly question. They want what we all want, security. For those who are living too close together in a household where tensions are running high with frustration, fear, and frayed nerves, oh, how they long for refuge, for release, and rescue. For those who live alone, who have experienced no touch, no face-to-face -face conversation for weeks, they crave real, in-the-flesh community. And so this morning, we cry out, Hosanna, save us. It is these heartfelt cries that put us in a place of solidarity with other people around the world and with people throughout history. We are pretty confident that we'll get through to the other side of this pandemic, though we don't know how long it's going to take. But this crisis has shone a spotlight on the fragility of life as we knew it. And so we are forced to face the inability, frankly, that we've always had, but now is made manifest, the inability to fix things, our inability to be masters of our own destiny. How ridiculous is that? These days make us face even our own mortality and remind us that we are humans, not gods. Of course, we're not totally impotent in this crisis. We, we must do everything that we can to flatten the curve, to maintain social distancing, to do all these extraordinary things we've been asked to do in an effort to prevent, rightly, our hospitals from being overwhelmed. And here in Pittsburgh and around the world, the best medical and scientific minds are hard at work to understand this virus, to develop a vaccine, to discover treatment regimens, etc. We rightly applaud those who give of themselves tirelessly to care for others. We are hugely grateful for selfless healthcare workers and the brilliant minds of those working in laboratories, including many in our own congregation. But how long will we be prisoners of fear, prisoners of uncertainty, prisoners in our own homes? These are important questions. And perhaps we may be humbled by our powerlessness. As Christians in this unwanted season of fear, uncertainty, lament, and longing, we have a choice. 
we can live as prisoners of despair or we can live as prisoners of hope. And that's an odd phrase, isn't it? Prisoners of hope. It comes from our Old Testament reading this morning. The prophet Zechariah was writing to God's people, suffering under the oppression of foreign rule. And while the exact dating of this prophecy is not agreed among the scholars, what is clear is that it was written to God's people in a time of great turmoil, when they were longing for freedom and a restoration of their fortunes as they desperately hoped and longed for the coming of the promised Messiah. And God's word to his people through Zechariah was in verse 12 of that Old Testament reading, Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. The promise was that they would be set free from their captivity. They would be rescued, as Zechariah puts it, from the waterless pit, the pit of death, the pit of hopelessness. How? Well, as Zechariah tells us, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. The blood of the Old Testament covenants and rituals and sacrifices were but a foreshadowing of the blood of the one perfect sacrifice, the blood of the Lamb of God, the blood of Jesus. And we see, and it's extraordinary, in these verses written hundreds of years before Jesus entered Jerusalem, the stage being set for that first Palm Sunday. Listen again to those words from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. How extraordinary that this saviour this promised Messiah would come riding on a donkey, not even a fully grown one. What a contrast to our typical notion of how a leader arrives today in these great motorcades and security details. But even when maybe the time Zachariah was writing, which we don't know, but it might have been 322 years before Christ, when Alexander the Great entered Jerusalem riding his great famous horse. We talk of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as the triumphal entry. And of course, it was such an entry. It just looked a bit different from what people had seen before. But there was this large crowd, as we were thinking about at the start of our service, and some of those in the crowd, well, they spread their cloaks out for Jesus. Others cut branches from trees and they spread them on the road. It must have been a tremendous sight. This is the first time that we see Jesus accepting the limelight. It really was a triumphal entry, a real show of his authority. There's no longer for Jesus to, tell, to, to ask people not to tell others who he was. Here he was entering into Jerusalem for the last time, the culmination of all that he had come to do. 
Contrary, however, to the desires and expectations of so many in those crowds, the triumphal route led not to a popular uprising and a great show of force, but rather first to suffering, humiliation, and the agonies of the cross before Christ would defeat death and rise to new life in triumph. The crowd shouted, Hosanna, a phrase we find all over the place, but you see it in Psalm 118, along with the words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And no doubt these great acclamations would have tripped off the tongues of the crowds easily enough. They would have been used to shouting and singing these things at great Jewish festivals. On that first Palm Sunday, the time of the Passover, there must have been such excitement. It was time to party, to celebrate, and the crowds were happy to proclaim Jesus as King. But you know, there must have been many in that crowd who were also in the crowd that gathered just a few days later who were shouting something altogether different. On that day, they were shouting, crucify him. How easily we get swept along by the crowds, sometimes to good ends, or often to bad. Although it was this triumphal occasion, Jesus wasn't after popularity on that first Palm Sunday. No doubt he knew just how fickle the crowds would prove to be in the coming days of that week. But Jesus made this great symbolic entry into Jerusalem to fulfill the prophecies that had been made all those years before. And he came in humility and gentleness, not with weapons or grand speeches. Such gentleness is a sign of true greatness and true strength. Although, of course, Matthew makes absolutely clear that we should not get any false impressions about the meekness or the gentleness of Jesus. Meekness should not be confused with weakness. In fact, in the verses immediately following this, Matthew tells us what happened when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, gets to the temple and takes out a whip and overturns the money chambers, uh, changers' tables. Yesterday, I was talking with Jim and Mari Stout, two of our counselors at Ascension, in our series of conversations about dealing with anxiety in these present days. And you can see that conversation and lots of other new resources on our uh, YouTube uh, site. But we were talking about how comforting it was as we enter into Holy Week to reflect on the incarnation of God taking on flesh. Jesus entered Jerusalem as the savior of the world on a donkey. He comes to us in such great humility and in such meekness. He comes to be with us as the suffering servant. Our God is not a remote and distant God who doesn't know what it's like to be lonely or hurting. As our epistle reading reminds us this morning, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And St. Paul exhorts us to be like Jesus, to have the same mind as Jesus. And if this present reality in our lives causes us to rely more on God, to be more like Christ, then that is a good thing and a reminder that we need to rely on God every day, no matter what the outward circumstances. On this Palm Sunday, we cry out perhaps with more poignancy and urgency than we have ever shouted before, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Our ultimate need is not for healing from disease, for provision of work, food, or shelter. No, our need above all else is for life itself and life beyond this present life, which is so fleeting and fragile, almost like vapor. As we sang before the sermon, we are a moment, you are forever, Lord of the ages, God before time. We are a vapor. You are eternal. Love everlasting, reigning on high. We are broken. You are the healer. Jesus, redeemer, mighty to save. You are the love song we'll sing forever. Bowing before you, blessing your name. In the midst of uncertainty, we find refuge in God. We do not despair. Yes, we are prisoners, but we are prisoners of hope. As Zechariah told the people so long ago, return to your stronghold. And this stronghold was God himself. As the scriptures teach us, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. God is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. In the New Testament letter to, of the Hebrews, in chapter 214, we read these words about Jesus. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Yes, we are still prisoners, prisoners of our humanity, mortality and frailty, and yet we are also prisoners of hope. So this week, put all your hope in the one who came in meekness, riding on a donkey. Join us, if you're able, on Thursday evening at 7, as we will contemplate further our Lord's example to us and the new commandment that he gave us to love one another, even as he loves us. And then on Friday, come again, we will contemplate the cross at Christ's sacrifice. 
Our Good Friday service begins at noon. It won't be our usual three-hour service. It'll be a bit shorter than that. I don't actually know quite how long. But it will include the Stations of the Cross, some special music, some original artwork created by some of our artists here at Ascension. And finally, remember that Easter is coming. It is in these events of Holy Week that began on this day with Jesus entering Jerusalem, that we are reminded that we are an Easter people, even as we live in a Good Friday world. Today, I urge you to turn to Christ and cry out, Hosanna, Lord, save me. Amen.